As you're turning to James 3, uh, two things. If you have not gotten our daily Bible reading calendar for 2023, please do so. There's some on the back table there. We have lots more. Also, if you weren't here Sunday and you missed getting one of our theme uh, bookmarks, uh, we'd love for you to get one of those so you can keep that in your Bible, uh, or as Brother Eric is in his refrigerator, uh, the place he goes to the most so we can pay attention and pray uh, for a theme for the year, but be sure they're on the back table there as well. I'd love for you to get one of those. And of course, our focus for the year as a church is going to be striving together. We spend all day Sunday uh, with that focus, and the first Sunday of every month, uh, we're going to continue that throughout the year. And I pray that we will uh, work together more closely and more effectively uh, for the cause of Christ, uh, for the faith of the gospel as the year progresses, if the Lord tarries is coming. James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 tonight. I'm going to talk to you about a very dangerous thing this evening, more dangerous than Pastor Rice on a patch of ice on stairs. And that's pretty dangerous. Uh, and that is our tongue. Our tongue. I'm going to talk about the right and wrong use of the tongue. And by the way, there is a right and a wrong way to use the tongue. We'll look here at James 3 and verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing uh, that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Can I tell you that there is no perfect man save Christ? Verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Let's pray together. Lord, we're talking about a subject tonight that applies to every single person in this room. Lord, we all struggle with this very powerful, very dangerous thing called our tongue. Lord, I thank you that you have a purpose and a plan in every aspect of our life. Lord, you have not left us comfortless. You've given us the Holy Spirit 
to lead us and guide us. And God, you've given us your word, Lord, that we might learn, that we might grow, that we might be turned. Lord, as the bit turneth the horse's mouth, Lord, would you use your word to turn our direction, to turn our tongue to your purpose and your will. Lord, I pray that we would yield to you. Lord, such simple truths tonight that we're going to receive from your word, but profound if we would but apply them. God, help us not to skip over it. God, help us not to think it is a little matter, but may we see how big a matter it truly is. Bless us and help us, Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen. We see the subjects here in this passage every one of us has to deal with. Every one of us has a tongue uh, that we can use for right or for wrong. And as the Bible teaches here, oftentimes from the same mouth cometh out blessing and cursing. And then the Bible goes on to say, this ought not be. That's not God's plan. That's not God's purpose. Our tongues may be used helpfully for the glory of God or, and for blessing, or they may be misused. They may be used to cause hurt and harm and pain. They may start wars. They may cause great strife. So we see here in this passage, Matthew Henry in his commentary calls this area tongue sins. Can I tell you that so often we do sin with our tongues. So often we do say things and allow ourselves to use that member, that small member, to do that which is unholy. So we're going to look here tonight at the power of the tongue. And we're going to talk about the right and wrong use of the tongue. Before we do that, I want to give you three statements about the tongue. Number one, the tongue has the power to direct. The power to direct. Look at verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Whithersoever the governor listeth, even the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. We have the illustration of the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder, the helm of a boat, being turned and causing that greater... I'm not sure how many have ever ridden a horse or been around horses, but they're big animals. And you take that big animal and you get on that animal and it's amazing, the little piece of metal, about that long, Attached to a couple traces, <laughs> it's amazing that they can direct that mountainous animal. The same with that little rudder on that giant boat affecting the direction. Christian, your tongue can direct for wrong direction or right direction. We need to understand that it is a it is a steering device. It is a steering device that steers your life. It steers, it steers relationships. It, it steers 
our testimony for Christ. It is a matter of the power of direction. We need to be aware of the idle word, the half-truth, the deliberate lie, the word spoken vainly because we have no idea the direction it may take, no idea where it may go. But the right word, Christian, the right word spoken at the right time can have a profound effect. I remember the day that I was, I was prompted by God's Holy Spirit. I, God didn't speak to me audibly, but I saw a man walking down the street, Foster Avenue in Chicago, and God prompted me, you need to share Christ with him. He was a, a homeless man, wild-looking guy, mountain of a man, hair out to here, filthy, dirty. And this 18-year-old kid, maybe I was 19, right around that 18, 19-year-old range, I argued with God, and I said, I don't want to talk to that guy. I, want to, I saw him coming down the street. Here's what I wanted to do because I was so spiritual. I want to walk across the street after he comes all the way down the sidewalk, then I'll walk back across the street. That's what I wanted to do. And only not because I'm a great Christian, but because God convicted me so severely that day, I stopped him. His name was Dominique. I remember his name. And I stopped Dominique and I asked him if I could share the gospel with him. And that great big mountain of a homeless man began to weep. He had left the north side of Chicago and was walking to the closest bridge he knew where it was. He was walking to the bridge because he was going to throw himself off the bridge and commit suicide. I've often thought, and I would never have known, what would have happened had I not spoken the gospel to Dominique. Most likely Dominique would have died that day and would have ended up in a devil's hell. Christian, you have no idea the impact your words tomorrow could have for good for somebody. May we realize that the tongue has the power to direct. Number two, foundationally here this evening, the tongue has the power to destroy. Look at verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member... And boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. Do you see the intensity and severity of the power here? It goes on in verse 7 to say, For every kind of beast and a bird and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. I told my family, they asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I told them I wanted a pet bear. My, my family doesn't love me, Brother Gerald. They did not get me a pet bear. I'm not sure why. But, I mean, they've tamed bears. My family doesn't believe it, but they can tame bears. But you can't tame the tongue. The Bible goes on to say there in verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We need to realize the power of the tongue. The power the tongue has to destroy. And the scary thing is, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. 
Christian, the tongue has power to destroy, but can I tell you where we cut off the fire, where we cut off the poison is not here. We cut it off here. We need to walk guard around our heart. Why? Because our tongue will say what is in our heart. Brother Colton leads our children's church ministry here. Every Sunday he's with them. Of course, my wife teaches the Sunday school with the kids, but just so you parents know, because I know how it works with little kids, Brother Colton knows everything that goes on in your house. There are no secrets. You know why? Because kids have no filter. Uh, no, I, Brother Colton hasn't told me anything, so don't, if this happened, I, have you mentioned you haven't said a thing to me? But, you know, on Sunday morning, a little kid will raise his hand. Brother Colton, pray for, pray for my mommy. My daddy was yelling at her on the way to church. I, that, that, that didn't happen, did it? But that, that could happen. Can I tell you that, I mean, they're, they're just going to say it. That's, they're kids. That's the reality of children. Uh, I'm sure it's, uh, I, I've worked with kids in ministry uh, as a young guy. I, I know how that works. Your tongue is a lot like a child. It will say what's in the heart. We need to realize that the tongue has the power to destroy. A tiny spark can start a fire in our forest, and we've, we've experienced it here in Alberta. Remember the town of Fort McMurray? I had friends there, and I was worried that they would, lo would lose their home, and so many homes were lost, lives were lost, and just a little spark. Just a little bit of fire is all it took. It has the power to destroy. An evil tongue can also spread poison. We see that in Proverbs 16, 27. But on the other hand, and this is the wonderful thing, and I want to ask you to turn there for sake of time. i got so much I want to give you tonight. But Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says that our tongue can be a medicine. My dog that we had for many years named Freckles, she's passed away since she now lives out at Jim and uh, Ruby's farm. Well, at least her skeleton does under the ground somewhere. Uh, but when she was with us, if I got an injury somewhere on my body, freckles, she knew. Now, I'm sure many of you will be disgusted by this, but she would come to me and she would lick that wound. Brother Gerald, I, I trusted freckles as saliva more than I trusted medicine from a doctor. Uh, I'm telling you, it was miraculous what the, uh, that uh, saliva from that dog. She was a medical wonder. I should have taken her to hospital. She might have healed people. But she, she tried to heal. Christian, can I tell you that we can, with our tongue, we can bring healing. We see that in Proverbs. But it is a great danger of destruction. Number three, just a foundational statement before we get into the, the real nut and bolts here. I said the tongue has the power to direct, it has the power to destroy, but also the tongue has the power to delight, to delight. In verses 9, it says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth the same place, sweet water and bitter? We have an illustration of a fountain or a spring. 
And it's impossible to go to a spring and, and take a drink of that spring water and have it be fresh water and, and then go down and bend down and take another drink and then it's salt water. That's impossible. It, it can only be one or the other. Now, our tongue has the ability, the power to delight in blessing, in praising our God or in cursing. But it has that power to delight on top of destruction. So I want us to, to realize tonight as we, as we look at that thought, I want us to see some things about uh, what God has for us in this matter of learning about the tongue uh, this evening. Uh, number one, and we're going to look at several things here about this tonight, so I'm going to try to, going to, try to hurry but I want to talk to you about the wrong use of the tongue. And I'm going to give you several sub-points tonight. I'm going, to, I'm going to rush through them. We're going to look at some verses here in our text as well. But the wrong use of the tongue. There was a famous uh, Christmas movie, maybe some of you saw it, where they told this boy to stick his tongue to the flagpole. How many of you remember that? How many of you ever tried that as a kid after watching that movie? She did that? Did you have to cut her tongue off of the flagpole? Hot water? On the flagpole or on her? Man, I want to, is there a video of that? We'll show it Sunday morning. But, you know, in that, in that, that old movie, the kid, uh, uh, he's stuck. That's a stupid thing to do with your tongue. Or how many of you ever tested a 9-volt battery with your tongue? That's a stupid thing to do with your tongue. Uh, that's not a good plan uh, at all. Uh, I don't think that's a very good plan at all. Uh, how many of you ever burned your tongue? That's horrible. That's not a good plan. I've bitten my tongue. By the way, there's been a lot of times I should have bitten my tongue to keep from saying what I said. But there are some wrong uses of the tongue. Number one, blaming God when you're tempted to do wrong. By the way, we've done it. We've all been there. The Bible tells us in our text in verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie against the truth. God never, 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 no, never, no, never tempts us to sin, ever. So, preacher, how do you know? The Bible says so. But the Bible tells us that we're lured away by what? Our lust. Not by God. But often we're tempted. God, it's your fault. God, you, you allowed it in my life. I mean, you're the one. That's what Adam did. Adam said to God, well, God, the woman thou gavest me, she's the one that gave me the fruits. So ultimately, God, it's your fault. That's exactly what Adam did. He blamed God. We do the same thing. Number two, the wrong use of the tongue, speaking hypocritically. Look at verse 26 of chapter number one of James. James 1, 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I'm not going to turn there, but Titus 1.16 is a reference I recommend you looking up a bit later. 
this matter of being a hypocrite, of saying one thing, doing another. God says that it is vain. It's useless. It ought not be done. Number three, another wrong use for the tongue, expressing discrimination between rich and poor believers. Look at James 2, verses 1 through 4. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Say, Pastor, I I don't have respect of persons. Let's, Let's go on here. For if there come one to your assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and saying to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves, and have become judges of evil thoughts? By the way, we could go beyond poor and rich. We could go to, to racial differences. Some of you have had to live through discrimination in your life over racial differences. Some of you know what it is to be looked down upon because you don't fit the culture or the color. And what a shame that is in our world. By the way, what a shame it is that we would look at someone walking through that door and we'd say, oh, <laughs> got to watch that guy. What's he doing here? Oh, no. I hope that guy comes and sits down here up front. I want him to be here at our church. We've got to be careful. It's very easy. Very easy for us to fall into the trap. And it's anti-God. It's anti-Bible. It's unchristian. Number four, how can we use our tongue wrongly? By speaking unsympathetically to those in need. Look in chapter 2 there in James, verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. Now, that's a bad way. I mean, brother, brother Bonnie shows up at my house. Please don't show up at my house naked. But Brother Bonnie shows up at my house. He's got no clothes on. He's starving to death. It's going to have to be several months from now before you're starving to death, Brother Bonnie. But, and get that picture. Some of them, I mean, they don't have enough clothes. I... I got to the church here Monday morning early, and as I did my typical U-turn to park, I looked, and there was a girl out here on the street with a, all she had on was just a very short skirt and about a Band-Aid, and I thought to myself, my goodness, she's going to die out there. Now, imagine someone in minus 30, they've got no clothing, they're starving. You can see their ribs. They've got nothing. And they come say, hey, I need some help. Look at what the Bible says here in this passage in verse 16. And one of you saying to them, depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not the things that are needful for the body. What's the profit? So Brother Bonnie shows up. He's got no clothes on. He's got no food. He says, man, I need some help. I'm like, okay, get out of here. <laughs> Go get warm. Go eat something. But I don't give him anything. Can I tell you that when I do that, I am speaking wrongly. I have an opportunity to do something different, but I do wrong when I do not take that opportunity to help. That being unsympathetic to those in need. Can I tell you the greatest need in the world is the need for the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only need. There are many needs 
And as Christians, we ought to seek to meet those needs. But ultimately, we always need to keep, along with meeting needs, the focus of the greatest need, which is the gospel. We need to bundle those together as we meet the greatest need. Next, number five, the wrong use of the tongue, boasting, flattering. What happens when you boast and flatter? You start a fire. James 3, 5 says, Even so is the tongue is a little member. And boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Just one word. Just one word can cause upset in a family. Division in a church. Separation between friends. Just one word can cause a schism in a marriage. We need to be careful that we don't use our tongue causing that fire. Number six, the wrong use of the tongue, grumbling against each other. Look at, four, look at chapter 4, verse 12. Skip to the next chapter there, chapter 4, 12. There is one lawgiver. Now, who is the lawgiver? It's God. It's not you. It's not me. By the way, he, he, God's not looking to hire judges. He doesn't have a help wanted sign up. Colton had a help wanted sign. He printed and a printer on Sunday morning. I, I think it was Sunday morning. I, I got it out of the, the printer. It said, help wanted. I walked up the stairs. I hollered up. I said, hey, what position are we advertising here? And it was for his uh, children's church. Did you hire somebody? You're still considering it. Anyway, it was, for some, it was for children's church. But when we think of verse 12 there, so often we think, well, God needs my help. I need to judge people. I need to help God out. Notice what the Bible says. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? God says, I don't need your help. Chapter 5 and verse 9 goes on to say, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. We need to stop criticizing one another. Well, I'm just trying to critique them. When I was in grade 7, 12 years old, my last year in public, public school, in grade 8 I, I got to go to a Christian school. Praise God for that. But in grade 7 I had speech class. How many of you like speech class? Bunch of weirdos. I didn't mind speech class either, Colton. I don't mind admitting it. Some of you, how many of you were terrified speech class? You'd rather do anything else. I, I wasn't. But I, I went to speech class. And can I tell you the the sheer idiocy of the way the speech class, the way it started. Number one, my, the lady that taught the speech class in the public school, she was a transcendental meditationist who got us to meditate every day. Uh, she, anyway, I won't, I won't go into that. But she also very early on in our grade seven speech class taught us how to critique grade nine students as they gave speeches. The first thing we learned was how to critique a speaker. I'm afraid a lot of Christians, that's the first thing you learn. We learn how to critique one another. That's not God's pattern for what we ought to learn or how we ought to function. Rather, we ought not 
be criticizing, ought not be grumbling and judging one another. That, that's God's job. By the way, God does a good job at his job. God's not a failure. God's a big boy. Uh, and excuse the vernacular there. I'm trying to make a point. God knows what he's doing. Number six, or number seven, another wrong use, the last one we're going to talk about tonight, wrong use of the tongue, swearing or blaspheming. Look at James 5. You're already there, I believe. Look at verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. How sad it is when as Christians we're careless. We're careless with our words. And we speak carelessly. We use language that as Christians we have no business using. We violate God's command. We blaspheme. By the way, when, as a Christian, when I swear, I am blaspheming my God. I'm cursing my God. And we ought not do that with our tongue. God's very plain here. It's not, it, it's not difficult truth for us to read. It's difficult for us to receive and, and put into practice. But there's some things we ought not do with our tongue. And we say, Pastor, how, how can you say that? I didn't say it. God did. God's the one that gets to decide. I don't decide. By the way, you don't decide. God is the, the lawgiver, singular article, the lawgiver. But we see some things were some wrong uses. Number two, though, and I want us to focus on this, and this is kind of the meat. It's a shorter, path, a shorter area, but I want us to focus on this as the meat tonight, the right use of the tongue. The right use of the tongue. Years ago, the first time I took Brother Ahmad hunting. Brother Ahmad's helping Brother Mike right now. But the first time Brother Ahmad went hunting with me, it was a dangerous time. Uh, Brother Colton, we almost died. Uh, it was quite a... I could write a book about those five days. Like a book. Like a full feature book. Uh, some crazy stuff happened in those five days. Uh, I should have left a mod on the side of the road somewhere is what I should have done. But anyway, that week, we, a mod killed his first deer. It was Thanksgiving morning. I think it was Thanksgiving. And he killed his first deer. And actually, he killed two deer. And as we're butchering doing the deed there, Ahmad said, do you keep the tongues? And I said, no. I like cow tongue. I love cow tongue. A few weeks ago, I was over at a restaurant and I had a cow tort, uh, lingua torta. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Uh, how many have ever had a lingua torta? If you haven't, you're missing out. Isn't that heaven? Oh, man. I want one right now. Uh, I really want one. Anyway, I like cow tongue. I had cow tongue many times. I never thought about a deer tongue, Jim. You know how little a deer tongue is? It's not very big. But Brother Maud cut those deer tongues out. We brought him in. I had an old camper at the time, and he got a pot on the stove, and he showed me how to, how to parboil those tongues. And after he parboiled them, you peel the taste buds, the outer sheath off of the tongue, and 
Some of you are disgusted right now. Some of you are hungry. I can see it's a mix, kind of 50-50. And then we cut them up and cooked them up. Oh, man, they were delicious. I never knew you could use a tongue for that, a deer tongue. It was good. It wasn't very much, but it was good. But I want us tonight to think about the right way to use our tongues. What God says, what we can do with that member that can cause such problems. How do we use our tongue? The right use of the tongue, number one, to praise God. You know why God made you? It wasn't so you could be good at your job. I believe we ought to work hard. We ought to provide for our own. The Bible says if we don't, we're worse than an infidel. That's Bible principle. But that's not why God made you. You know, someone who's a carpenter, God did not make them to build houses. That's not the purpose for their life. Now, they may build houses and provide for their family, but ultimately that's not why God made them. God made you and God made me to glorify him in everything we do. That's why I exist. That's why you exist, to glorify God. When I get to heaven, can I tell you what I'm going to do, what you're going to do? You're going to glorify God. The glimpse that we get into heaven, we get a few glimpses in the Bible, we see people praising God. We see in James chapter 3, and look in verse number 9, therewith bless we God, even the Father. Christian, every day of your life, you ought to be blessing God. You ought to be praising God. You ought to be thanking God. Let me see if I've got time. I'd like, give me just a moment here. I'm going to call an audible, maybe. I think we can get through it. Yeah, turn to Psalm 140, 149 with me. I'm not going to read all of them. I, Psalm, one, Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and Psalm 150. Wonderful, helpful psalms. Let's, let's, look, at, let's look at Psalm 150, actually, the last psalm, the last... Uh, in, in the book of Psalms, the very last Psalm, Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the sultry and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. But God doesn't stop there. He closes out the final psalm with, again, praise ye the Lord. Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and Psalm 150, psalms that remind us to praise the Lord. Christian, you need to praise God. God can barely get a holy grunt out of most of us. You know, you you watch your favorite sports team. Maybe you're a a hockey fan. Uh, Maybe you're a football fan, basketball fan. Maybe you're a competitive eating fan. That's my favorite sport. Uh, whatever your favorite sport is, uh, you watch that. Man, you watch as uh, the Oilers score. 
And you're sitting there at home and you go, whoopee. No, you don't. You jump up out of your chair, whoo! And your family goes, what's wrong with him? He's a little fanatical. Can I tell you that's where the word fan comes from? The word fanatic. We get fanatical about some things. I believe as Christians, we ought to get fanatical about praising God. Amen. That's why God made us. So what can I do? What's the right use of my tongue? Christian, if you are not already, you should be praising God. Amen. If you're not, you're not using your tongue for what God made it for. We're to praise God. Number two, what should I use my tongue for? Number one, to praise God. Number two, to pray to God. To pray to God. Think about the fact that you, as flesh, as a sinner, without Christ. I understand our position when Christ now. We're, I'm righteous. I'm holy. And that, that's a powerful thought. But without Christ, I'm not. But without him, I could not come to him. The Bible says that my sin had separated between me and my God. He could not hear me. But now, I can call him. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. Pastor, what do I talk about? What do I talk about? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you a couple things quickly. No slides for these, but pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. James 1, 5, and 6. You want to write down the reference. The Bible says, we, we talked about it four or five weeks ago. If you ask him, he'll give you wisdom. What do I talk to God about? If I call him up, what do I say? When my wife and I were dating, I decided I was going to marry her. I decided on my birthday, March 31st, 1995. My wife gave me a... She's not here, so I can say it wrong. I won't get in trouble. She's probably listening back there in the nursery. I think it was a chocolate chip, chocolate, chocolate chip cupcake with a candle on top because, you know, she didn't have a kitchen, her dorm, college dorm. She couldn't cook something. So she bought this cupcake, Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. And she put a candle on it. She gave it to me, and I carried it out to my car on the way to work. And as I was eating that chocolate, chocolate chip cupcake, I said to my buddy Jeremy, I looked over at him. I was driving my high-class 1977 Ford Granada down the highway. And I looked over at Jeremy. I said, hey, I'm going to marry Carrie. I said, I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas. I said, we're going to get married next summer. He said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. I, I made a decision. Now, I didn't ask her to marry me until... Christmas Day, December 25th, 1995. But I made a decision on my birthday, March 31st. I'm, I had it settled. Now, there was a time between March 31st and December 25th with my crazy schedule, my wife-to-be, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, soon to be my fiance, was beginning to wonder if I was even interested in her because I was running 100 miles an hour and I had very little time, but I made a decision. I, I had decided that I was going to ask her. 
And I did. What would have happened if I would have told my friend, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Carrie to marry me. My wife says it was the chocolate chip muffin. I don't know if it was or not. What would have happened if I told him, but I never asked her? I'd have never got married. I, I had to go, and I, I, had to, I went to her parents' home and in her parents' living room in front of her mom and dad with her grandma and grandpa across the living room, her little baby brother across the way. I got down on one knee, and I asked her if she'd marry me. And Carrie's grandmother was talking, as she was wont to do. I called her. We loved each other. I called her the chow hound, and she called me, I think it was dummy. I can't remember. She called me a very loving, affectionate term. And uh, she didn't know that we got engaged. And Carrie's mom said, yelled at her mom, Mom, Brian just asked Carrie to marry her. I'll never forget. I can hear her yell out really. She had a loud voice. What's about time? Uh, but I asked that day. Christian, when's the last time you asked God for wisdom? I can use my tongue to speak to him. I can pray for wisdom. I can pray for help for those in trouble. We did that tonight. We do that every Wednesday night. James chapter 5, verse 13 and 16, if you want to write down the reference there, speaks of that. Number three, I can pray for healing. And pray for healing. By the way, we did that tonight too. Now, does that mean that if I pray for healing, God's going to heal? No, because God is not your magic genie. You do not command God, no matter what Joyce Myers and all the other hell evangelists say. Uh, you can pray and ask God, but ultimately we're asking for God's will. And God's will is best. But... That does not diminish the fact that God can heal. We can ask for healing. We see that in James 5, verses 14 through 15. We can ask for big things. Big things. You know, so often we, people, we think, I can't ask God for that. That's too much. Too much to place. On a holy God who created everything? We see there in James uh, chapter 5, verse 17. I'll read there quickly. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth, but the space of three years and six months. It goes again and tells us, then he prayed for it to rain, and it rained. That, that's pretty big stuff. Preacher, what do I pray for? We can pray for wisdom. We can pray for help for those in trouble. We can pray for healing. We can pray for large requests. And we can pray for backsliders to be restored. I love this. Look at verse 19 and 20 of chapter 5. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. And she'll hide a multitude of sins. So often we want to judge. We want to be angry. We want to condemn. We want to whisper, hey, see what they did. Hey, did you see their Facebook post last week? Come on, that's where we live. Reality. 
Did, 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 you, did you see what he was wearing? Did you see the way she acted? Now, am I saying tonight we should, we should go and, I'll like that picture and like what it. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying rather than condemning what we ought to be is say, Lord, I want to pray for brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. I pray, that, I pray that you would direct them and lead them. What a wonderful thing. We can pray for those who are struggling. We can pray for those that are falling behind. It's been said the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. How sad that is. We ought to be praying for them. My dad got saved as a 12-year-old boy as a result of a revival service. And then my dad did not grow spiritually. He wasn't discipled. He wasn't mentored. He wasn't part of a good local church. My father went to high school, graduated from high school, went to college, married my mom. They had a little baby. That little baby spent less than 24 hours on this earth because they laid their first little baby to rest. A year later, I would be born. Two years later, my sister would be born. And I was four years old. My father was saved as a young boy. But he wasn't living for the Lord. I'm sure glad. I'm sure glad that there was a man he worked with who assumed he was lost, who tried to give the gospel to my family over and over and over and over again. As a result of that, my mom, who was not born again, got saved. My dad rededicated his, his life to Christ. I'm sure glad somebody cared about him. I don't know where I'd be right now if somebody didn't care for my dad. You realize that one that we're tempted to criticize and to belittle and to speak ill of, we have an opportunity to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can pray for them. What a wonderful thing. I said we can praise God, we can pray to God, and the number three Caleb there, the right use of the tongue, we can sing to the Lord. We can sing to the Lord. Look at James 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. By the way, the word psalm means song. The book of Psalms is a song book of God's people. Let's turn back to the Psalms just for another moment. Psalm 51, just one verse I want you to see there in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. Well, what a prayer. And my tongue shall sing aloud of the righteousness. 
I wish we'd make that resolution in our heart that we're going to sing for the Lord. And here's what we say, but pastor, I'm not a good singer. I, I can't sing well. I, I don't have a trained voice. Yeah, I, I understand. I don't either. I, I, I don't have the ability to sing. I, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Uh, people ask me when I was younger what part I sang, you know, tenor or baritone or I would always tell them that I sang monotone. That's my part. How many of you sing that part? Brother Bonnie, raise your hand. That's Brother Bonnie's part. Uh, not all of us can sing well for others. But can I tell you something wonderful? When you sing for the Lord, the Lord thinks you sing wonderfully. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. God doesn't go, ah, I don't think Brother Krim hit all those notes right. I'm not sure, Brother Jim, I don't don't think he got that slur quite right on the end of that song. I don't think Pastor Rice was ever on the right key the whole song. No, God doesn't look at that. God says, wow, they're singing to me. Christian, you can use your tongue to sing praises for God. By the way, one of the reasons we sing we sing together as a local church and a congregation. One of the reasons Brother Colton had a wonderful idea to teach us some new songs throughout the year is so you have other avenues and ways to worship and praise God and sing to Him because God made you to sing. God made us as instruments of glory for the Lord. How powerful that thought. And lastly... What else can I do with my tongue? I can witness for the Lord. We don't see that specific teaching in the book of James. However, we see it all throughout Scripture, and I I don't want to miss that thought. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Christian God says, we shall be witnesses. How do we witness with our mouth? We have to speak for him. Let's, Let's finish off in the book of Psalms. One more verse tonight. Psalm, the 107th Psalm. Second verse of the 107th Psalm. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I wonder how many times you and I have been in situations, maybe at work, maybe in the break room, Maybe it was high school. Maybe it was with a friend group. Maybe it was out for coffee somewhere. Maybe it was in a business setting or a a relaxed home setting. Maybe with your family. Maybe with a girlfriend or a boyfriend of the past. And the subject of quote-unquote Christianity came up. I wonder how many times 
that we had opportunities to speak for Christ, that we tried to find a way out. I can remember many times, personally, when I had an opportunity as a redeemed of the Lord to say so, and I did not. I say that to my shame. I have a feeling if we're honest with ourselves and with God tonight, we would all stand with our hand raised before a holy God and say, Lord, I've done that. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to be speaking for him. We ought to be telling others that we've been redeemed. You see, our tongue can be used for good or for bad. It can be used to help or to hurt. May we use our tongue correctly. We need to ask the Lord, and I'm not going to ask you to, to turn here tonight, but we need to ask the Lord to, in Romans 6 verse 13, take control of our tongue. We need to pass the wheel and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you direct even my tongue, what I say, how I say? We need to make that resolution. We need to, to realize that we can pray, we can speak for Him, and we can use our tongue for God's glory. One day, the Bible says that every idle word, every idle word is going to be judged. Not, not to decide if you're good enough to go to heaven or if you've had too much bad so you have to go to hell. No. As a Christian, it will be judged as to whether it was good or bad. Whether it was, as the Bible speaks, of wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones. You see, the things we ought not do with our tongue, all they're going to do is burn up someday. And there'll be nothing left. It's useless. But what we do with our tongue, we ought to do one day, will remain for God's glory. And we can glorify Him over and over and over throughout eternity by what we do with our tongue down here now. Let's pray together. Lord, help us, Lord, to realize the importance of guarding our tongue. Dear Holy Spirit of God, I pray that we would yield the control of our tongue to you as instruments of righteousness. God, would you use our hands, our feet, our eyes, and yea, Lord, would you use our tongue that we would use it correctly. God, help us to heed the warning we see in the book of James. That we realize the danger. That we see the poison in the fire. But also, Lord, may we know that you have good. You have good planned that you want to do through us. Lord, you've created us. You've told us unto good works. And Lord, as Christians, help us to allow you as we yield to you, to lead us in those directions. Lord, bless us tonight. Lord, be with us as we're dismissed this evening. God, may you be glorified tonight for all that's said and done. In your name we pray. Amen.